I think that's a wrap, guys. Oh, unless did we miss anything? Like, was there anything else you wanted to plug? No, no, no. That's yeah, no, that's good. I was shameless enough. Yeah, okay, that's great. <laughs> Steve's mom is a big listener, so <laughs> I don't know. If, does she have an Echo Dot, Steve? Does she? Uh, yeah, we've probably. sold her on an Echo Dot. My my mom only listens to uh, right wing religious radio from uh, south of the line. Oh no. We've even lost her as a listener. (laughs) (laughs) This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything about assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, hey, my name is Rob Minot. Uh, joining me today, the fantabulous Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hey! And the stupendous Steve Barkley. Well, there's stoop in it anyway, so we can, we can go with that. <laughs> uh, another week, another podcast, boys. Absolutely. Indeed. Uh, how's, how's, uh, how's, how's, how's life going over there? Oh, it's uh, pretty darned quiet, but you know, I'm counting down the days. I'm going fishing. Yeah, are you? So, where are you going? You kill it. Oh, really? Again? Hey, you really like that? You you kind of go there every year. It's just, is it the same spot that you go? Yeah, yeah. It's a spectacular fishing offshore there. It's just amazing. Oh, that must that place must have been so nice uh, during that heat wave because it's like it's 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 like its own zone weather zone it's so much cooler uh over there on the what is it the e- east coast of uh vancouver island yep or west coast the, the far west coast yep. um yeah yeah it's usually a few few degrees cooler just because the ocean temperature keeps it keeps it down yeah like we were looking at our uh our weather reports for uh two weeks when we start fishing and i think it's going to be a high of 20 and uh, down to about 11 at night Chile. Yeah. It'll be nice. Um, hey, Ryan. Yes. Uh, what, uh, what are we doing today? Today we are doing a podcast. Ha ha ha. Are we? <laughs> I'm wearing the wrong shirt. Uh oh. We are talking with Robin Christofferson, who is the head of digital inclusion at AbilityNet. Excellent. And I should and I should also say a podcast host. Oh, I love Echo Dot to Dot Show and the Echo Show. I love talking to other podcasters. Well, That's yeah, great. you know this is going to be informative for all of those of us who have digital assistants and wonder what we could do with them. Hmm. True. I still, you know, what I really underutilize my um, my Google. Well, you know, what's interesting is I saw something the other day on the internet about Google and how there's like, I think, 8,000 different things you can ask your Google Home or Google Assistant to do. It was like 8,000. Like, 
where do you find all that information? Yeah. Like there isn't just one spot to find all the commands. Yeah, I've got, I've literally have a Google device in every room of my, of my apartment and I don't use it for nearly enough. I use it to, to play Spotify, mm -hmm. to set timers and um, occasionally like I'll ask like what the weather, like what the temperature is and yep. that's it. Like, and really, I really need to, to really do a deep dive and, and figure out what uh, it can actually do because I don't know. And that's all we do with our Amazon Echoes as well. You know, I have one of uh, a couple lights in the house. I can turn on and off. Um, whole house music because I have an Echo Dot in each room, like you listening to Spotify, um, and basically weather. You know. Yeah, yeah. So we have these amazing pieces <laughs> of technology that we're not even using. So yep. uh, I think that by the time this podcast is over, I think I'm going to be inspired to actually do some research and actually figure out what, how I can be using it better. Excellent. One of, one of you ask your Google if it speaks Morse code. Hey, do you speak Morse code? Did you hear it? No. <laughs> it went dot, 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 dit, 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 dot, 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 Morse code. And it says, that means yes. <laughs> I love that. I, I love it. I, that means that there, there are engineers at Google that are just like, oh, their whole job is to just like build in like really obscure, yeah. geeky responses. Yeah. I'm looking at a, a list of some of the uh, different things you can ask it, uh, such as, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? <laughs> uh i am your father that's something else you can tell it uh you can ask it how much would a woodchuck chuck a woodchuck yeah. chuck wood uh you can ask it how many roads must a man walk in yeah you can ask it what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow but, but I, maybe I'm that's sure. that's a topic for a show is we should get somebody from google on again to talk about just the digital assistance you know because this show is echo based um so different device yeah but you know get somebody on to talk about the uh, Google Homes, the HomePods from Apple, do a head-to-head -head or something. Yeah, well, you know, it is, I really, I really do feel like these devices are really underutilized. I think that a lot of people have them in their homes and they, they don't use them to their full capabilities, mainly because they just don't know what they can do. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if that's because they're always updating these these devices in the background, you know, adding to the firmware, adding to the capabilities, and the general public just they're not clued into to all these changes, and they, they just don't know what what functionality there is in there or even what they can do. So, yeah, it's in, it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I'm 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 intrigued to have this conversation. Excellent. Well, why don't we bring him on? Joining us now is Robin Christofferson. Hi guys. Thanks for joining welcome, us. Welcome. Thanks. So I thought what would we what we would start with, Robin, is kind of a glimpse or a snapshot about who you are. So um I'm English, as uh, it might be apparent. Uh live over here in the UK in Warwick, a nice part of the world, nice castle. Uh do come and visit. And um I work for an organization called AbilityNet, which is a UK tech and disability charity. We're the only pan disability, pan impairment, pan technology organization. So you've probably heard of the RNIB, which are experts in vision. 
and there are other similar organizations as well, but we are um, particularly useful to our uh, clients, to our customers, because, you know, we're a one-stop shop. We have a range of services, auditing websites, doing diverse user testing, um, you know, providing internal audits of organizations, um, accessibility maturity, shall we say, and various other um, free services to disabled users, uh, their friends, families, etc., helping them get the most out of technology. So I've, I probably sound a lot younger than I am, but I've been working for AbilityNet for 25 years and it's been absolutely fantastic. It's like being paid to play. And as the head of digital inclusion, what is your responsibilities for AbilityNet? <laughs> so um, kind of a mixture, really. I work in the sales and marketing team. But before that, when I joined them in 96, actually before even AbilityNet was called AbilityNet, um, it was a special needs uh, product division of IBM. So I was, you know, working with um, Via Voice and Screen Reader for OS2 Warp and stuff like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And then when it turned into AbilityNet, I was an assessor going out to individuals in the home, et cetera. And then in 2003, we had our first inquiry about uh, website accessibility. And I started the consultancy team, which is now about 30 strong. And, um, you know, was part of that team for a long time until I decided that I'd had enough to do with code and auditing, et cetera. So I moved over to the dark side of, of sales and marketing. And I've been there for probably about eight years now. And it's brilliant because I do a lot of public speaking, a lot of advocacy, sit on a lot of, I don't know, government committees. And um, that doesn't sound too exciting, actually, does it? Um, get to write a lot of blog posts and do a lot of podcasts, etc. So yeah, um, just talking about, you know, accessibility, end user technologies, um, why businesses should care about digital inclusion and all that sort of thing. So yeah, keeps me busy. So I always have to ask uh, people in the industry, because um, I'm always really super curious, but what, how have you found the past, say, five or six years in terms of, uh, of business? Have you found that there's a real uptick in interest in, say, things like digital accessibility? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, digital obviously is getting more and more important all the time. Uh, COVID has put a laser focus on online and digital delivery, et cetera. Um, but even earlier than that, I think ever since the uh, emergence of the smartphone, and obviously we know now that it is in very real terms a mobile first world, uh, you know, traffic to any given website on any given day is well over half. It's around 60% from mobile devices, and that doesn't even factor in the apps that people use instead of going to the website, which obviously are mobile only as well. So it's definitely a mobile first world. And there's been a growing recognition that accessibility, whilst it's obviously aimed at disabled users and all of the guidelines are you know, um, crafted in such a way that if they are complied with, then it does make it possible for disabled people like ourselves, I'm blind, um, to 
you know, actively participate in what everybody else is doing online. Um, but it actually makes it better for everybody else. And that's because everybody um, is different shapes and sizes, uh, you know, shouldn't settle for the vanilla experience. You know, every, we would encourage everyone to play with their accessibility settings. And if you do a, like a spider chart of all of the settings in the settings app in iOS, for example, well over half of them are in accessibility, something like 65%. So, you know, it's a major part of your phone's um, potential customization that you would be ignoring if you didn't have a play in there. But even more than that, everyone that is using a mobile phone, regardless of whether they've got an impairment or not, is kind of extreme computing. They're computing on the edge. You know, if you're juggling your phone one-handed, just using your thumb to, you know, tap on things or even you know use the on-screen keyboard say uh, if you're on a bumpy bus or car in noisy cafe um, you know if you're trying to order an uber after a good night out and you've had a few drinks you know the extreme usability that you need there is what someone with a cognitive impairment might need to be able to successfully do that you know use that app uh, unsupported you know so there are so many parallels now and I would say the biggest change in the last five years is that the conversations that we have with clients is no longer about, oh, you know, why should we do this? It's moved on to, you know, a recognition that it's really important. We would say it's table stakes, really, to consider um, accessibility to make it extremely usable for everyone, uh, whilst making it usable for those that would otherwise be locked out. Um, and, you know, it makes your product fit for purpose in a... In a in the age of extreme computing, shall we say. Yeah, and I feel like that's the really important part of this all is, is to really get things like businesses really on board with the idea that it's it's just a, a really good business case to, to have accessibility built into your product, whether that be a website or an app. So, and, and so in, in that space, like have, have you found that that mindset is slowly shifting away from say, um, accessibility being something of a of an add-on or an afterthought after the fact to them being a little bit more aware of starting to bake in accessibility at the at the development uh, stage. Definitely shift left. You've probably heard that about you know applying to lots of things, but when it comes to accessibility, um, we've definitely moved away from working with our clients in a kind of an ad hoc basis, project by project. You know, we'd work on a particular app and then they'd bring us in 12 or 18 months later on some other project and they were kind of back to square one with their knowledge. You know, there hadn't been any sort of knowledge transfer or upskilling within the organization. So yeah, we've moved much more towards um, embedding accessibility maturity and there are digital accessibility maturity models that organizations can use to kind of review how they're doing things internally across everything, you know, um, training, tooling, documentation, component libraries, um, procurement, um, C-level buy-in, proper support and resourcing, champions network, all of these things within an organization that will actually make sure that they don't, you know, patch it at the end before it goes live and then get a horrible shock when they realize that they've done something that's going to require quite significant retrofitting. So yeah, we're absolutely seeing that. Um, maybe not across every organization because, you know, the people that come to us are um, the ones that, that care enough to, you know, want to have help in, in kind of really accelerating on that journey. But having said that, our um, 
delivery has tripled since the beginning of uh, lockdown. And before then, it was, you know, doubling each year. So, yeah, we've, we're very busy and we, we definitely see that as being um, a recognition that accessibility is important. And that's driven by, um, you know, the kind of CSR, which is now, you know, the corporate social responsibility being seen to do the right thing. You know, Apple is very vocal. So is Microsoft about the importance of accessibility. And that's now kind of morphed into ESG, environmental, social and governance. And the social bit is definitely where, you know, there's a recognition that diversity is really important. And we've got, you know, celebration of um, LGBTQ and race obviously is hugely high profile at the moment. We do a lot to make sure that disability doesn't get forgotten in that kind of carnival, <laughs> the sort of Cinderella that often gets forgotten. Um, but yeah, there's a definite recognition that diversity is a good thing. And we're, we're you know, benefiting from that as well. So recently, there's been a little bit of controversy here. And I, I'm not sure if if you guys are even aware of this, but there's this there's this product out there called Accessibly. Why did I think you were going to mention that? <laughs> yeah, I've already written an article on it. Absolutely. Um, okay, and you covered it last week, didn't you? Or last time? Yeah, we've covered <laughs> it a few times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you talked about whether there's a place for overlays and whilst it is horrendously missold and whilst it literally does degrade the accessibility of some sites that it's applied to, you know, it actually makes things worse. Um, it's, uh, there are other ones out there that don't do that and that probably are worth considering. So until your browser, um, for example, allows someone with dyslexia to mouse over a link or a button or a paragraph and have it spoken out on hover, obviously we've got immersive reader and, you know, reader mode and stuff, which strips out a lot of the complications and reads the document from start to finish with like a play pause button and stuff. That is nothing like what someone with dyslexia needs to just be able to zip around and, and have something spoken out. So something like Browse Aloud is a plugin that just does that. So there's definitely a place for a site to include a style switcher, you know, actually right. code that into the site, you know, those three A's and stuff that are different themes. Um, and for things like Browse Aloud, but definitely not an all singing or dancing overlay solution. Um, we, we would have issues with that. We do have issues with that. Yeah. And I'm so glad you said that because that, that's really was kind of my thought initially too, was that, you know, there must be it, the, te the technology itself, the idea of a web overlay, you know, isn't a bad idea in and of itself. It's just that really these accessibility guys have just sort of, um, taken that and, and really kind of perverted it into something that's, that actually runs against um, digital accessibility, which is, is really the problem. Um, you know, if it worked as intended or as they marketed it to be, it, it, you know, it could very well be a, a good thing because if, if we can make web accessibility and digital accessibility an easier process for businesses, um, you know, I, I, I can't see how that's a bad thing, but that being said, I do also understand the flip side of that in the sense that building a really good accessible foundation for your for your digital product whether that's an app or if it's a a website you you can't do any better than just going in and building the code to standards um mm -hmm. by hand 
Um, and that messaging should be front and center on any organization that's selling an additional plugin or add-on tool. And, you know, an organization with a good moral compass like TextHelp, which do the Browse Aloud plugin, um, will will definitely shout about how compliance, you know, is first and foremost, but that this is where this particular, you know, tool adds additional functionality for this particular group or whatever. So, yeah. Um, even then, though, with something like Browse Aloud, a lot of times someone with dyslexia, for example, would want to use a solution that was that was local so that they would make, you know, provide that same functionality in Word, in wherever, you know, across your whole computer. So then they would have that functionality in a browser as well to be able to hover over a button and have the label spoken, etc. So even then, you know, it's not as if you're going to be leaving people with dyslexia high and dry if you don't build that sort of thing in. So even that messaging should be made clear um, that, you know, some people will be coming to your website um, without already having those, uh, you know, AT solutions in place. Even things like changing the settings within your browser so that you've got the, the kind of color contrast and uh, font size choices, line spacing choices that you want. Um, even then a style switcher may or may not kind of interfere with those. So, you know, right. it's a sensitive, delicate issue. And at the end of the day, compliance should be first and foremost. And what, 95, 98% of websites out there aren't even single A. So um, right. that's a much bigger conversation and kind of goal to champion um, to make sure that we sort of nibble away at that. No, we've been yeah. having that conversation for too long. It's time to get out the big <laughs> stick. <laughs> well, funny you should say that. So here in the UK, um, the last bit of legislation that came over from Europe before the horrible Brexit, you know, guillotine happened was um, the Web Accessibility Directive, which was an EU bit of legislation that had built into it the requirement for government to proactively monitor and reinforce or enforce the law, which surprisingly has never happened. It's always been left up to disabled, in, disabled individuals or, you know, group actions by the RNIB or organizations like that to take individual companies to court. But this web accessibility directive that came over and became the public sector body accessibility regulations, it's only unfortunately for public sector, but that's really important because it's, you know, government, it's local authority, it's um, universities, it's the BBC, it's stuff like that. Um, they have all sat up very straight and really pulled their finger out because, you know, this legislation does, as I say, include a great big knobbly stick <laughs> to because they are going to be actively monitored by a government department over here, the CDDO, the Central Digital and Data Office, and they will be reporting publicly on the websites that failed. They will be giving them a period to comply. They will be issuing fines. And that has seen a seismic shift in the activity in that sector. So we definitely, I know that you guys over the, well, certainly in the States, I don't know about you guys, but you know, you're all about small government, hands off, light touch, etc. cetera. Um, but there's no replacement for um, you know, you talked about the business case before, there should be carrots, juicy carrots, and there should be knobbly sticks. Yeah. And if the stick is just this weak, wimpy thing yeah. that's never used, um, then, you know, it's not going to um, have as big a, an impact as it otherwise would. There's a brilliant um, uh, 
in the in Norway, which aren't part of the EU. So they went their own way. And for a while, they've had legislation that has been actively enforced by the government and the department over there, Diffie, that does it. They um, surveyed their, uh, well, one of the sites that they um, said were, in, were, you know, they reviewed and that weren't compliant was their, low, their national airline, the SAS. And they gave them a year to comply. And at the end of the year, the SAS said, oh, it's too hard. We can't do it. <laughs> And they said, look, we're going to give you 10 days, 10 more days, and we're going to fine you 15,000 euros. That's about, I don't know, $20,000 a day wow. thereafter. And they fixed everything in 10 days. In 10 days. So there's nothing <laughs> like a nice bit of uh, incentive to, you know, the right incentive will work miracles. So we'd love um, that same level of proactivity across all sectors here and indeed in Canada and the States and everywhere else. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, though, the one that applied to other sectors, the European Accessibility Act, missed that Brexit thing. And there's absolutely no chance that um, current government anyway are interested in bringing any other EU legislation into the UK law books, you know, anytime soon. So, yeah. Uh, we've been saying that for for ages. I mean, that's that's our biggest problem here in Canada is just it, the enforcement. Um, I don't know if it's just because as a society we're just too damn polite, uh, but you know we the best we've got is like a little twig that we use as a stick, and we're lucky to have that. I mean, we've just here in in British Columbia, uh, we just passed uh, an, an accessibility act. Uh, in the past few weeks, and it literally has no enforcement mechanism. Like there's just, there's no, there's not even a, a reporting mechanism. Well, it doesn't um, even have standards of any kind. It's, yeah. it's, it's basically an act that basically says we, we should come up with some standards, eh? <laughs> even here in the UK, um, it, that was a similar picture and it is across other sectors still. Um, it's really kind of anti the, the claimant or the, you know, the individual that's put that has been discriminated against because there's a um not a loophole but there's a requirement that if you if your damages that are awarded if you're successful are, are lower than your costs then you're liable to all your costs and you can see why they do it it's to discourage you know flippant mm. you know gold digging kind of um, speculative claims against organizations but a recent um, a legal case was found in favor of the disabled individual. The organization was um, made to make changes. I don't know if they have done it yet, but they were also fined 32,000 pounds. I don't know what that would be like, 45 or so thousand Canadian dollars maybe, I don't know. Um, so yeah, 32,000 pounds were the awards, uh, was the fine, but the legal costs was 33. <laughs> so this individual had to pay 33 thousand pounds so that's a discouragement for anyone to you know use the law to try and get the website or app that they absolutely need to to use to be accessible so that's scary yeah it is you know and and the story that we we're, we sort of hear time and time again when we have guests on the show is also that, you know, the importance of digital accessibility has been really, really driven home by the pandemic with, mm -hmm. with you know, the shift of so many different services to, to an online platforms. When those platforms aren't accessible, well, then you're just leaving people with disabilities out in the cold uh, for, for usually essential services. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
hopefully this is, you know, we're seeing sort of a, a bit of a, between that, I feel like, and this shift to embracing inclusiveness and diversity, I, I, I'm hoping that, you know, we're entering into sort of like a golden age or a renaissance of, of embracing digital accessibility. I think it's almost indecent to say that you don't want to comply these days when diversity in general is just so popular and so, um, you know, seen as like a universally good thing. Diversity is a hugely popular cause these days. And, you know, it, it's almost indecent for an organization to say they don't care enough to do anything about it. Well, you know, it's funny. I almost think that, you know, we we don't even need lawsuits these days. If we could set up some sort of a public shaming yeah. um, mechanism where, you know, we just have a website with just of companies that that have gone against compliance. I almost think that that could be effective because stocks.com. Oh, no, it's yeah. probably taken. <laughs> just a hashtag, you know, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like we, you could almost do that way because that companies and organizations are terrified of of getting flamed on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I think that that uh, you don't even need to to mire the courts down in, in, in lawsuits. Um, just, yeah, just just flambe them on Facebook. I think we can all advocate in our own way. Absolutely. For sure. Okay, Ryan, I'm turning things over to you to talk about the fun stuff. All righty. Enough. <laughs> Enough boring business stuff. Let's get into some of the entertainment fun. Robin, you are the host and probably producer, I'm guessing, of a couple podcasts. One of them I'm, I'm quite interested to talk to you about is Dot to Dot. Mm -hmm. And that is based all around skills available on the Amazon Echoes. So I wanted to ask you how or why did you decide to take that on? Cool. Yeah. So thank you so much. Um, dot to dot. We're up to episode 1620 something and we've not missed a day. It's a daily uh, podcast. Hasn't been going as long as yours, but wow. it, it is daily. Um, and basically when the echo was a thing, when it came out, um, I was just blown away. I thought it was brilliant. And obviously it's improved a lot since then as well, become a lot smarter. But even then, you know, I wanted to know what it could do. And it's pretty easy to go in and, and kind of dig around in the skill store and that sort of thing. And back then she was very well, she didn't surface um, other skills or suggest things to you at all. She's a lot better at that now. So you really had to go away and, and find what she could do other than, you know, Wikipedia and the weather and playing music and stuff like that. So I thought, hmm, I'm going to dig around. I'm going to do a podcast which always demos, doesn't just talk about always demos, built-in functionality, skills, games, uh, productivity, you know, whatever it might be. And goodness knows there's a lot you can do with your smart speaker. Um, so that was the idea and it was really really straightforward i didn't have a mixer or anything at the beginning so i was just holding my phone up to the to the echo um and but yeah every single day we practice we do a practical demo of something and they're less than five minutes uh, almost all, all the time so they don't take long to listen to and then hopefully if that's available where you are because i know that the states have a 
um, a bit more built-in functionality than we've got over here, for example, um, things do sort of come over to other regions sort of slowly but surely. Um, I'm looking at you notes. I want notes on the Echo like they have in the States. Um, but where it's not available, where you are, you know, you, at, at least you could uh, see if there was something similar, for example, in your skill store. Um, and where I wasn't able to demo it, I thought, oh, I'll ask listeners to send in their contributions. And sometimes, and I got a really good response and, you know, there have been lots and lots of different voices on it over the, the months. And sometimes if I heard about something that I couldn't demo, I would reach out to one of them and ask them to do it. And they've always been really kind to do that. So if you're going to pick a daily podcast to do, then make sure that you do a really short one and one where it's really easy to know what to do next day and the next day and the next day. And I, luckily that's what Dot to Dot is. Yeah. And I haven't seen many other podcasts that have done such a deep dive into the skills that are available. So how do you go about choosing the skills that you're going to demo? Ooh, um, well, luckily she does say, if you like this, you might like that. Or you can say, what are your top travel skills? Or what are your most popular skills this week? So you can kind of query or quiz her about stuff as well. And that's all relatively new. There are newsletters, obviously there's the Friday morning one from Amazon itself. Um, there's other newsletters like Voice Brew, which is a daily one as well. So, and then obviously there's just digging in the skill store and, you know, looking in different categories or searching for keywords and stuff like that. I'm not going to say that every skill on the skill store is good. Uh, it's not. There's a lot of stuff in there which are um, very basic skills or even just not very good skills so you do have to do a bit of digging and demo you know trying out and making sure that you pick one that is good enough to go on the show I'm not going to say that everyone that I've ever covered is a winner but it was good enough for me to bring to the table as it were so yeah and people would um, send in people that didn't want to demo stuff themselves they would email me uh, suggestions and that sort of thing do you have a favorite skill? <laughs> um, uh, episode number one was the magic door, which is a choose your own. Well, it's five in one choose your own adventures. Really well done. Um, and the reason why I did it as number one is because I thought I've got to, got to share this with people. I've got to demo this to people. And all they, you know, once they've listened to it, they just say, Hey lady, launch the magic door or open the magic door or whatever. And they're, they're instantly playing it themselves as well. So yeah, that I think is still my favorite. And on the sister show to dot to dot, the echo show, um, we've done a live playthrough on that sort of like a really deep dive. Uh, if people want to listen to that as well, can I say about the echo show? Yeah, that's our next step. So fire away. <laughs> so yeah, the echo show is a weekly show um, which is still based on practical demos of uh, built-in features or uh, third-party skills um, with a fantastic guy. Many people will have heard him on another technology-based uh, Canadian podcast. It's Sean Priest, the brilliant Sean Priest. He comes from his, in his shed in Manchester and I'm in my office in Warwick and we, you know, co-host this show every single week. 
the Echo Show. It's not a brilliant name because a lot of people think it's just to do the ones with screens. But um, yeah, no, it's just like a, um, a a bigger version. It's like a bumper version of Dot to Dot with banter, <laughs> banter. which I'm sure you guys are all for. Nice. So what is it about the Echoes that made you decide to go that route versus, you know, Google Homes, now we have HomePods, Siri, of course. I'm, I'm assuming you're still all in the Echo um, ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, since doing the show, um, Amazon keep on sending me stuff. <laughs> so I think they, they want to, you know, avoid any opportunity that I'll buy anything else. <laughs> so I recently demoed the new Echo Show 10, which is a 10 inch screen that swivels around to follow you around the room, which is pretty spooky. But um, <laughs> yeah, so we've got more Echoes than we know what to do with, to be honest. But um, I think that because you mentioned Siri and, uh, you know, we've all probably used Siri a lot because it's often quicker to get you know the answer that you want where even you know quicker than doing a, a quick web search or google or whatever um but siri always often anyway defaults to oh i found this on the web she does it a little bit less these days but you know it was a kind of a, a weird mixture of spoken and visual and that was one of the things that i was really um excited about when i heard about an ai that was in a can that had no screen so that, you know, I was really pleasantly surprised when the Echoes, when the A-Lady, um, uh, you know, came up with the goods there because there's no screen, everything is spoken. And I thought that's got to be helping Siri because they're going to realize that, you know, it's just so much better to um, speak things as well as show it on the screen, you know, complement the stuff on the screen with the speech as well. But actually that hasn't changed that much in, in subsequent years. But um, yeah, once I was got my first Echo and found out how much you can do with it, I didn't really need to look anywhere else. I certainly use her more than I use Siri for getting, you know, quick bits of information. I use it to access my diary all the time because my, you know, weekday diary is absolutely chocker. So something like, when am I free on the 27th in the afternoon, she'll just tell you the gaps. So that's so much better than, you know, you have three appointments, one at 12.30 to two, blah, blah, blah. And you have to, you know, work out what the bits are in between and stuff like that. So it's really powerful for productivity things as well as games and stuff. Um, and the Google Home, I don't know what it is now, but it had 8,000 actions, which are their kind of equivalent to skills. Last time I looked and the A-Lady Skill Store here in the UK anyway is 50,000. It's a lot more in the US skill store. I'm not sure about Canada, but, you know, there's no comparison really. Yeah, that was something I was going to ask about or mention. I think the discover discoverability of what's available on an Amazon Echo versus the Google Home is, is much easier to find something that is going to work for you, whether it's um, home automation, whether it's, you know, entertainment, so on and so forth. When you, when you just mentioned 8,000 activities on the Google Home, I had no clue. Um, I have a, a, a Google Home Mini here. I honestly haven't gone in to look at or find a place that lists the activities that are mm -hmm. available. And I think that was an issue early on is I really didn't know what the Google Home was capable of. Whereas with the Amazon Echo, you could open 
the app and look at the skills and, you know, pick and choose. Yeah. I mean, I don't claim to know anything about the Google Nest family as it is now. Um, so I wouldn't even know where you would go and look for that. Has the Google Nest got its own app, you know, over and above the Google? I don't know. I don't know anything about it, I'm afraid. But certainly you mentioned smart um, home and connected devices and stuff. And my sister, who's blind, but also has MS, and she has no use of her arms or legs or anything like that, just her voice. She can't see anything. And the Echo that she uses does everything. You know, she gets that's how she gets her talking books, her radio, her podcasts, um, can phone people, you know, all of that sort of stuff, but also can control a bunch of stuff as well. And, you know, I've written loads of articles about the accessibility features built into the Echo and also the kind of broader implications of connectivity for people with a range of different impairments. So, yeah, it's super empowering for her. And I would plug a little bit of kit called the Harmony Hub, which if you haven't got a, you know, A-Lady compatible TV or VCR, well, what do you call them, like Digiboxes these days, then anything with a remote control, you can program the Harmony Hub to then be a kind of a proxy remote control that is A-Lady enabled. So, you know, you just, you can either search on the Harmony app for your particular um, Digibox or TV model number, and it'll have all of the things, all of the codes already in there. Or if you haven't, if it doesn't show up, then you can point the remote at it and kind of program it button by button. And then you, you've got the different voice commands for that. So you can, you know, play BBC One, um, set record, whatever it might be. Um, on these less smart devices. So, and that's like 80 pounds or something like that. Um, and you can fully control everything in your environment. Uh, super powerful for people with a range of impairments or if you're just super lazy. <laughs> well, you know, and that's what I find smart smart speakers are, are so fascinating because it's, it's a great example of one of these um, advances that hit the mainstream and is a great mainstream product um, and, you know, nearly ubiquitous um, in households these days. Uh, but it's also like a, a pretty amazing piece of assistive technology when you, when you really think about it. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It could almost be designed for, you know, people with disabilities. If you think that you need to be able to talk or speak clearly to use an echo, you absolutely don't. If you have one with a screen, there's a number of things that you can, turn on in the accessibility session settings, tap to Alexa. Oh, said her name. Excellent. Got one right here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, the guest you had on last time set off my <laughs> A-Lady. Yeah, she should oh, change what? her name there. I'm not going to say <laughs> who it was. Um, <laughs> Miss Iliad. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah. So you tap to A-L-E-X-A, brings up um, key commands on the screen in little tiles, and you can also bring up a keyboard to put in a custom command, et cetera. Um, there are various other accessibility settings, which, you know, we know that if you can't hear, then you can, you know, turn on captions in videos and everything that she would otherwise say, you can have brought up on a, on a screen if you've got an echo show. So, you know, you don't need to be able to talk to use the A-Lady. You don't need to be able to hear to use it. You don't need to be able to see to use one with a screen because it's got built-in screen reader, et cetera, et cetera. So, 
Yeah, they're like the ultimate um, access AT device. Yep. I feel like it's just a race. Like I can't wait until someone thinks to be like, let's, and here's how it'll start. It'll be like, let's put a smart speaker in a Roomba and then, <laughs> then it's mobile. We can, you can, we can move around. And then from there, it's got to be only a matter of time where we can, maybe we can just like add some little arms <laughs> and like some little legs and then boom, here we go. We have, or even, you don't even need the arms and legs. It's just like, we can just make R2D2 and just like, put a smart speaker in that and have them roll around and follow you around. I would want something with arms so that it could fold laundry. That would be <laughs> Rob, and by Rob, laundry. You really need what you really need is a daughter. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's all I mean, mine does to me. She just follows me around going, listen to this, listen to this. Ooh, check out this TikTok. <laughs> I should also say, cause I think certainly um, I personally, and maybe other people as well try to, you know, stave off the, um, lockdown pounds and stuff like that. Um, and anything that you can do to be a little bit more active. So on the A-Lady, there's loads of workout ones. And there's even one called Desk Workout, which does a lot of um, exercises that you can do at your desk, most of them sitting down, uh, that require no space at all, and they last only a few minutes. So there's absolutely no excuse for not you know, being active. And my son, who's a personal trainer, and he's built like the Incredible Hulk, is a very... Um, strong advocate of uh, not doing um, any labor-saving things at all. So, you know, if, if there's a machine that will avoid you having to pick up a piece of paper off the floor, that's like Wally time, basically. Um, do that, you know, do, do everything yourself, basically. If you look on YouTube, there's a brilliant guy called The Bioneer, and he's a huge advocate for this as well basically do do everything yourself so yeah you could go the other way and um have the you know imagine a future where the a lady will do everything for you but at the same time you today you can make her help you do things you know and stay in shape yourself so yeah true very true <laughs> well we have to say goodbye now robin thanks so much you know, <laughs> it's been an absolute we want robots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I wasn't talking to the choir there. Yeah, absolutely. Bring them on. Yeah, and self-driving cars. Absolutely. Well, then it's only the trouble with that. Then, then it's only a stone's throw from like Terminators. That's right. Like, <laughs> hey, hey, lady, go kill Sarah Connor. <laughs> Can I plug two other podcasts as well? Sure. Please before I go so yeah there's dot to dot as we've spoken about that's three words the two in the middle is just to um please do check that out it's a really badly named um podcast for playing on the a lady you have to really enunciate it so apologies there you can actually add it to your flash briefing by asking her to enable the daily five minute skill demo show so that's a, try a way of getting it every single day try asking um, to play at banter Good luck. <laughs> well, it worked for me. Did it? First oh, time. Wow. In fact, she said, play at banter back to me. So maybe you should say that. Maybe. <laughs> play the at banter. Okay. Um, the Echo Show, as we've mentioned before, and two others. One um, has a Canadian co-host. That's the Maxcessibility. That's like accessibility with an M. So I absolutely have to mention that. That's a fortnightly VI tech show, Maxcessibility. And every week I do Tech Talk which is an RNIB uh, technology show with the brilliant Stephen Scott, uh, amongst other people. So, yeah, check out all four of them, please. 
And uh, you know what? We'll include uh, links to all four in our show notes. Brilliant. Thank you. I'm just so grateful you were able to make the time to come and join us, Robin. I've wanted to get you on the show for quite some time about the Dot to Dot podcast and just let our listeners know all about it. So again, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. See, I knew it. I knew I was not using my Google to its full capability. I am seriously, I'm, I'm this weekend, I'm just going to spend a day and I'm doing some research because I, yeah, 8,000 things. That's, that's crazy. Well, that's the Google home and you know, his, his show dot to dot, he does a five minute kind of tutorial or informative podcast every day on a new Amazon Echo skill that you can use on your Echo Dots or your Echo Shows every day. And he's up over a thousand different skills now. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Can, can you imagine? I mean, we have a hard enough time pulling together a weekly podcast <laughs> and trying to get the three of us to do a daily. That's, that's commitment. Yeah, <laughs> we would have long ago killed each other. Uh, certainly. But no, but that, but it, 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 that almost makes me kind of wish that I was dialed into the the Echo or the sorry the Amazon I guess ecosystem because it, that is amazing to me that there are so many actions out there that that you can do like well there's there's actions there's games there, there's all sorts of stuff right you know and I think that's kind of one of the nice things about the Amazon devices is you can go into the Amazon smart assistant app and drill down through all the skills and see if there's anything there of interest to you and try different skills out with the Google home. Yeah. You can go into the Google home app, but what is the discoverability like? Cause honestly, I don't know. And if somebody can send us some information on that, please do. Um, but I think discovery on the Amazon Alexa devices is, is way easier. Yeah. That's interesting. That's a really interesting point. I mean, you know, in, in some way, I feel like, you know, the whole conversation about, you know, which smart speaker or which digital assistant even um, is better is is very much like a 2018 conversation. But I mean, part of it is kind of still relevant because they are very different and they do seem to have very different capabilities. Um, but I just feel like people make the decision on which one to go with based on what they're using, what, what ecosystem they're already dialed into. Yeah. And as I've said before, you know, I've got echo dots in the house. I have a Google home mini here in the guitar dungeon. Um, I have Siri on my phone and iPads uh, and Apple TVs. So I haven't really dove into one ecosystem entirely, but I think each device probably has their place. You know, people with HomePod say it has the best speaker out of all the digital assistants. Google, of course, has so much history in search that it has so much data. You can ask it anything and it'll come back pro probably with the right answer. Amazon uh, digital assistants, not as smart, smarter than Siri, but not as smart as Google. And, you know, going back to the Google Home Minis, you can cast stuff too. So if you have a Chromecast to your TV, you can ask your digital assistant, you know, hey G, cast that over to basement TV and boom, your videos or whatever show up on your TV. So each of them kind of has their strengths and weaknesses. I just had to reset up our um, Google Nest network in the house and uh, my daughter's Google Mini uh, 
when she paired it, she put it on the, the family access group. So I'm pretty sure now that when she's sleeping in one day, I will be able to wake her rudely up by playing Wooly Bully at full volume off of her uh, Google. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's fascinating stuff, but I, I'll, I'll keep you posted. I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to do some research this weekend. And uh, I don't know, maybe my whole life will be driven by my Google Home at this point. Because <laughs> like, I don't know, my calendar, I, can do I, haven't used my, I don't use my calendar at all with it. Uh, which I could be. You may find some really creative ways to make Chef Boyardee. Ah, I have an air fryer now, <laughs> Ryan. So I'll have you know that I love this air fryer. I know. We keep talking about getting one and I just can't wait. We Do just it. keep putting it off. Do it. It's, they're not expensive. Oh, I know. Get it. Do it. This weekend. Seriously. <laughs> we'll I'm telling you, everything is so much better in the air fryer. Oh, that's what everybody says. Yeah. Even bacon. Yeah, I, I, I want one of those dual units. It's both a uh, uh, microwave and an air fryer. Ooh, because I, That's, you know, I, I, I would get rid of my microwave if I could get that that one right item. Yeah, totally. Because even yeah, reheating stuff and stuff is way better in the air fryer. Like pizza reheated in the air fryer, oh, so good, so good, and really fast. Like it, it, yeah. it it's almost as fast as a microwave, but it's just it's way better. It's yeah, my life has been changed. And if they could build a Google into the air fryer, oh, well, let me tell you. <laughs> now you're getting out of hand. Yeah, I know, Do right? some research. Well, there is an what? Amazon smart oven. Yeah. Well, that's exactly, I mean, I made a joke, but I mean, really, that's a thing, like smart appliances, mm -hmm. smart, yep. you know, the, 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 it's a thing. Yep. So, um uh, that's a whole that's a whole other episode. We could we could have an episode just where we just talk about smart devices and um, smart speakers. There you we go. <clears throat> hey Ryan, Rob, where can people find us? They can find us at atbanter.com. They can also email us if they so desire uh, at cowbell at atbanter.com. Hey hey hey! You know what else? You know what else? Guess what? what? Else? Guess what? 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 They can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. For now. For now? What? Huh? What? Because you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Oh, I see. Instagram could go under. All right. Like Facebook's on shaky ground. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of go the way of, of uh, uh, MySpace. Oh, oh wouldn't go. that be nice? Remember the day when like things would be popular for a little bit and then they would die off? I feel like that's the natural of order of things. That's what really needs to happen to Facebook. Like that's part of the problem is it's too, now it's too established. Like we've created a monster and we can't get rid of it. Yeah, but I think it has its, it has its place for a certain demographic, right? You know, all the, all the younger, younger folk who had jumped on it early on are now all on TikTok, right? Or they're all on, you know, Twitch, whatever. So, you know, there's other platforms for different demographics. It's true. That's true. So maybe Facebook will die off eventually. Because, yeah, you're right. None of, the, none of the kids are using it. No. They could give a crap about Facebook. That's stuff that their parents are on, right? Yeah. Huh. Hmm. Well, there you go. Another show topic. Another show talk. Look at this. We're just <laughs> workshopping our, our asses off here. There you go. Uh, anything else? Anything else? Nothing to report. 
All right, then. Well, I think that's going to about do it for us then for this week. Big thanks to everybody for listening in and we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Take.